The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about the Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Good to see you guys. I'm so glad you're here. This is your first time, like Mike said. If you wouldn't mind filling out one of those Connect cards, we'd love to get some information to you. Um, I'm Pastor Matt, and I'd love to meet you in the lobby and shake your hand. Thank you for being here. Um, you can put that Connect card in the giving stations on your way out. They're on the tables on the way out. Um, if you served at VBS in any capacity, we had over 70 volunteers this week uh, with our kids. If you served in any capacity, would you please stand up? Just let us thank you. Awesome. Thank you, thank you. What an incredible week it's been. Uh, we had over 100 kids, like I said, over 70 volunteers to make that all happen. It takes a lot of volunteers to herd cats. Um, just an incredible week, but it's uh, also been, you know, a week of curveballs. And uh, one of those curveballs was the first night uh, Pastor Tammy was stepping off the platform right before worship started, missed the last step, fell, rolled her ankle, and uh, so we drug her behind the curtain. Um, there was a curtain going down for the small group area, so we're like dragging her under the curtain, you know, feel like Old Testament temple, you know. Um, and uh, she's, she's, we, our sheepdogs, man, our medical team, they just jumped right in, cold compresses, wrapped it up. I mean, it's it just like, by the grace of God, within five minutes, um, somebody shows up with crutches, and uh, by the end of night one, somebody brought a boot, and she's like all wrapped up, ready to go, and uh, she came out. We didn't let her have a pass on that. We're sorry. Sorry, man. If you're still breathing, we, we'll will you out here if we have to, but you are doing VBS. I mean, it was... It was crazy this week, and it was incredible. We got to baptize 12 people on Friday night, and um, it was awesome. Yes, yes, yes. I want to thank everybody who served at Agape this week. That was, that was chaos on Thursday night. I've never seen uh, barbecue pork go so fast. Uh, I walked in the kitchen to get one tray for refills, and Kevin's in there slicing the sandwiches. Um, he's praying, like, Jesus, please multiply these sandwiches. Um, I was really hoping for 12 basketfuls, man. I really wanted a couple of those sandwiches, but I wasn't going to be able to fight everybody to get one. Um, it was awesome, though. And then tonight is a new Connect group. You heard on the video. If you're new to the creek, uh, this opportunity of Connect Groups is designed just to help you build relationships at the creek. Even if you're not new and you just want to build relationships with people at the creek, this is a great opportunity. So tonight at 5 o'clock, you can get all the information at the Welcome Center. So go out these doors and it's, it, you'll turn right, Welcome Center. They will help you with directions, times, everything. We would love for you to get connected in that. We know that that's an important and vital opportunity in the life of a church. I mean, that's our investment as a church is, is helping you connect in community. Now, you've got to make that investment and actually engage. So I'm excited about everything going on in the life of the creek. If you've got your Bible, go to Romans chapter 9. We're back in Romans 9. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back tables for you. If you don't own one, write your name in it. That's our gift to you. We want you to have that. If you've got a smartphone, you can find us on a, an app called YouVersion. And uh, we put our fill-ins and note sheets on that. So when you download the free app... You go to the live tab, put in the Creek Church or 
uh, our zip code, and then you can, it'll pull up with, with all the churches, and then you just click on the creek. And uh, Romans 9, but God has a perfect plan. You know, I said that there's been several curveball this, curveballs this week with, you know, Tammy falling off the platform and just different things happening this week. It's just, it's just been one of those weeks where a lot of curveballs comes at you. And, and Pastor, our, our, elder, our elder Mike was up here and got to speak, and you've heard his voice. I mean, he just has a soothing, calming voice. I will never forget early on in the creek's history, we're having a meeting and I'm just like, I'm, I'm at one of those times, and I'm, I'm just sitting with our elders and going, man, I just feel like God's just throwing curveball after curveball. And Mike, in that, in that soothing voice, goes, well, you can still hit a home run off of a curveball, can't you? And I was like, yeah, you can. So uh, even this week, I, I'm so proud with everything that's, that's gone on this week. Our, our team has hit a lot of home runs this week, and I'm excited about that. Um, so... That just goes back to God's perfect plan. I mean, God knew before Tammy fell off the platform that that was going to happen. God wasn't like, oh, oops, um, man, let's see. Uh, she missed that last step. What am I going to do now? And, and you saw me. The only time I got on this platform this week was to talk about baptisms, and they made me come up and do the moonwalk. That was it. And that wasn't even a moonwalk, and you know, I can't do it. It just ain't going to happen. Um, but God had a plan from that from the beginning. This series that we're in, is, it's perfect by design. That God from the beginning, from the foundation of the world, has had a perfect plan for the complete history of the world. I mean, God sees eternity not in time but in relationship. And he sees that from above, not as a part in it, but one who is over it. And God is sovereign. He is in control and has control of all things. And so when us, for us to be a part of God's plan, we recognize that he has a plan for us. And last week, we started Romans chapter 9, and we started talking about Israel. There's no way that we can teach a holistic gospel without speaking about the nation of Israel. We can't get around it, and we, we have to be able to talk about it. Um, Israel was chosen by God and is an incredible part of the plan of man's redemption and God's plan of redemption for all of us. And the Apostle Paul wrote this letter called Romans to, a church, to the church in Rome, to the early first century Christians, and some of those were Jews that had converted to Christianity, and some of those were Gentiles. Gentiles are those who are not born into the nation of Israel, and the gospel changed their lives. And Paul's helping them understand how to live as people who are transformed by God. And he goes through some. He goes to a beautiful section of scripture here in Romans nine, ten, and eleven about talking about Israel. And Paul is absolutely the one qualified for the Holy Spirit to inspire to write this letter. Paul was a Jew. He was born of the nation of Israel. He said last week in verse 1 through 5 that these are my people. These are my kinsmen. And Paul, he talks of himself as being a, a Jew of Jews. I mean, he, he says, if there anyone were more devoted to this, there's not one greater than I. And so Paul was, he was perfect for talking about this. And we've got to understand that, oh, something just popped up on my iPad. And you know how you get those reminders? It says Heather's birthday. Oh, happy birthday. I'll, I'll close that out. We'll get back to that because we got to teach the, the gospel right now. Anyway, Israel is chosen by God, and he, he calls them out. And, and they're called out to be an incredible part. But the, what we see is that Israel failed. 
When, when Jesus the Messiah was born, they, they, he was crucified. The Jews crucified him. Paul was a great persecutor of the church. He stood against the work of the gospel and against who Jesus was and what Jesus wanted to do on earth. And, and, and Paul is a great person to be able to speak about this to people and to the nation of Israel and to the Gentiles because God called him to be able to speak to that. And what Paul's going to really set up in this argument today is that through Israel's failure, has God's word failed? Because it's easy for us to, to miss the sovereignty of God and think that when we fail, then God fails. And what Paul's really saying is, has God's word failed? It means like a ship going off course. So because we've gone off course, has God gone off course? Let me tell you something. God's word is not dependent on our obedience. God is faithful even when we are not. And God holds to his word. God is faithful to his word every time, even when I'm not. And God will always stay true to his promises and to his plan. When we, when we go afoul, we do not change the plan of God. And his sovereignty is that I'm in control of that. I've got that. I'm over that. And so Paul starts explaining this idea of God choosing Israel, of, of Israel's election. Now this is a very, this can be a very sensitive, very touchy subject. This can cause some division and a lot of doctrinal discussions and theological discussions. And I want to spend some time talking about this, that when we, we hear of Israel's election, God's choosing, and what Paul refers to those who were in Christ in Romans chapter 8 as God's elect, it is those who are chosen by God. And here's what the election means. It's God choosing an individual or a group out of a larger group or company for a purpose or destiny of his appointment. And so we read last week in Deuteronomy that, that God chose Israel not because they were great and mighty, but because of what he could do in them and do through them. And God chooses to work in and through the lives of people. And that is God's choice. So when we start to look at this idea of Israel is chosen by God and they fail, we start to wonder, has God's word failed and has God gone back on his word? And Paul starts to unpack this argument about the nation of Israel. Romans chapter 9, let's start verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are of his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, neither good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Let's stop there and pick up the first thing that Paul's kind of helping us understand in this idea of God choosing Israel and, and Israel failing and him recognizing the current state of affairs is that Israel's election was not based on natural descent. It wasn't as though it passes because you're born into this family. 
that God gave the promise to Abraham and, and said, in about a year, I'm going to return and your wife and you are going to have a, a child. And the, the promise doesn't come through the natural, through the flesh. It comes through the promise. Because here's what happens. We're, maybe, this is just me. But, but God has to give me one step at a time. He'll reveal one step, and then I'll take it. He'll reveal one step, and then I've got to take it. And many times, and, and since we've launched the church, it feels like we're right at the edge, and it's like, okay, we've got to step, and we've got to trust God. If God would have shown me five years ago what today looks like, I probably would not be here, but I would be in some mental institution in a corner of a padded room in the fetal position sucking my thumb. And I can tell you that, and I can tell you why. Because I have a tendency to try to figure it out on my own. That if God says, here's all I'm going to do through you, then I will kill myself trying to do it instead of letting God do it. And he's had to kill me of that in the last five years. And we see in history and through scripture that Abraham was the same way. In about a year, I'm going to return and you and your wife are going to have a son. Because this is a promise. Okay, and so Abraham, he's, he's way past childbearing age. Sarah, way past childbearing age. And he's like, that has to be from God. But here's what happens. You start thinking, okay, in about a year when I return. Okay, what's about a year? It's been a month. It's been two months. And so Abraham and Sarah take matters into their own hands. Sarah says, look, I, it, 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 I'm not seeing this happening, Abraham, so why don't you take Hagar and make God's promise happen? So we have the firstborn child of Abraham, which is Ishmael. And God says, that's not who the promise comes through. The promise comes through Isaac, the one born under the promise between Abraham and Sarah. And see, the tendency and the, the way it's lined up when you read Scripture, the firstborn is the one who gets the blessing, and the firstborn is the one who gets the honor. And that's not the way you see God working here, that God chose the promise instead of the flesh. And so we're not born into this because of our parents or because we had a praying grandmother or, or you know, we grew up around faith. We have to be born into it under the promise not by the flesh. Isaac and Rebekah. So Abraham and Sarah have Isaac. He gets married to Rebekah, and they have two sons. Esau was the oldest. He was the first one, and Jacob was the second one. And it's Jacob who gets chosen, the second, not the firstborn. And God's doing this to show us that, look, it's not by birthright that I chose you. I chose you because I chose you. And we're born under the promise, not under the flesh. And so if Abraham's physical descendants reject the word of God, God's word still goes on. God's word is still faithful. And it does not nullify God's plan. The second thing is Israel's election was not based on human merit. Verse 11, I'll read verse 11 again. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger, 
as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So Jacob's chosen, and they're chosen before they had even been born and even done anything wrong or right. If this choice wasn't based on their character or conduct. Now, let me, let me clarify something here. When, when Paul refers back to, but Jacob I loved and Esau I hated, he's referring back to Malachi chapter 1. And in Malachi chapter 1, God is referring to the nations, Israel and Edom. Jacob's name would be changed to Israel, and therefore we get the name Israel. Esau was the ruler of Edom. And God's saying, I've set my blessing for Israel, and I am against Edom. Now, this doesn't mean that God hates sinners. I think this is easy for the enemy to start twisting us up because the reality is God loves sinners. Yes, God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible. When I was in children's church, I could either get the most famous verse, John 3.16, or the shortest verse for the piece of candy. Shortest verse. Anyone? Jesus wept. Boom. Piece of candy. See me in the lobby. Actually, I might have a piece of mint. I got a mint for you. Here you go. Awesome. We're just carrying on the spirit of VBS, right? God loves the sinner. Paul teaches us that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we start to look at this idea. It's not based on what we do. It's all based on what God has done and God's choice. And God made a choice for us to be included in this kingdom. God made a choice. Jesus made a choice to leave the throne of heaven, to be the lamb slain before the foundation of world, the world because that was God's redemptive plan for us. And through the cross and through the empty tomb, through the resurrection, we have power, not based on what we have done, but only on the grace of God, his mercy and his compassion, and it does not depend. God doesn't choose us based on what we have done or what we can do for his kingdom. He chooses us because he has a purpose and a plan for every one of our lives. And what Paul starts to really unpack here is that God's mercy and compassion are extended according to God's will, not man's will. Our will is broken. Let me, let me read this. Verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. So God's mercy and compassion are extended based on God's plan, not ours. Here's what we have to understand. We are born with a will. We are born broken. We are born sinful. To get brutally honest, we are, we are born into death row. And it takes God's compassion and his mercy to save us from the sentence of death. And we start to think, well, well, this is injustice on God's part. 
that people are just born into death. They're born on a trajectory for death. They're born at enmity with the things of the flesh and the spirits. What Paul just spent so much time in Romans 8 unpacking for us, that there is a war between us, between the flesh and the spirit, and he calls us to walk in the, the spirit because our will is contrary to the spirit unless we have been transformed, unless we have been reborn, unless we have been regenerated, unless God's mercy and compassion has changed us and transformed us and renewed our mind and restored us into a relationship with him, then we have no ability to submit to the will of God, regardless of what choices we think. And we think, God, that's just unjust on you, unjust for you. If God determined everything based on justice, none of us would be saved. Every one of us deserve condemnation. And so when we start to look at God's idea of election, of his choosing, and you, you look at his sovereignty, it's always a matter of grace. That God extends this grace. I mean, God is holy and he must punish sin, but he desires to save the sinner. There was a, a Chinese writer that wrote this. It's a beautiful book. His name's Watchman Nee. It's called The Normal Christian Life. And he says, the blood of Christ dealt with the sin and the cross of Christ deals with the sinner. And what we are called to do is let Jesus' blood take care of our sin so that can be taken care of and then let the cross of Christ, let the work, the completed work of Calvary begin to transform us. It's for us to realize that we have been crucified with Christ, that we do have an ability to submit to the will of God and that he has chosen us and he is He's extended his grace and his mercy. And then Paul gives this example of Moses and Pharaoh. Moses and Pharaoh back in Exodus, um, God says, I've, I've seen my people and I've remembered my promise. And they were enslaved in Egypt. And God begins this process. The book of Exodus is all about the journey of the freedom of the nation of Israel and the freedom of God's people. And in this, you see that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Moses' heart is softened. And you, you start to see some differences between these two. But let me point out some similarities. Both of them were sinners. Both of them were murderers. Both of them saw God's wonders and his incredible, miraculous power. And each of them walked away from that situation completely different. Moses walks away transformed, heart softened, a leader of God's people. And Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And God says, I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, and I will harden whom I will harden. And so for us to think, we think from a, a human broken perspective, God, that's not fair. That's not fair. Why did you let Pharaoh die? Why did you let Pharaoh continue to be lost to save Moses? Why did you give up Pharaoh for Moses and the Israelites? 
God, that's unrighteous. We have no place to condemn God for being unrighteous. Let me tell you something what's core and central to God's character, righteousness. It's not that God isn't just righteous. God is righteousness. And when you start looking at this, you've got to start breaking down. Before we start playing the that's not fair card, we've got to understand that God gave Pharaoh opportunities to repent. In Exodus chapter 7 through 14, there's at least 15 times that talks about Pharaoh's heart. And now it gets a little confusing because sometimes, about half the times, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then the other half of the times, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So who's to blame, God or Pharaoh? The fault's going to fall on Pharaoh, and here's why. God gave him many times to repent, many opportunities to repent. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. You're like, well, how can that be? How can that be that Moses saw the same miraculous things that that Pharaoh would have seen, and yet they walk away so different? The same sunlight that melts the ice is going to harden the clay. And we can be exposed to the things of God, and it's either going to melt our heart and draw us closer into the heart of God, or it's going to harden us, and we want nothing to do with it. And what it typically comes down to is whether or not we get our way. If we agree or we like God's choices, then we're in. But when they're contrary to what we want to do, I don't think I don't I don't think I've heard the voice of God on that. And we start to we start to get into this position. Now we're going to do a little heart check here. And I want to talk about some warning signs of a hardened heart. The first one is willful disobedience leads to a hardened heart. And we've all been in this. This is one where everyone in this room can say, me too. Because I doubt that any of us ever have or ever will have a burning bush experience like Moses had. But here's what I can tell you, that God has spoken to every one of us in this room. And every one of us in this room has dismissed the voice of God because we didn't want to obey what the voice of God was telling us to do. Guilty. And that can lead to a hardened heart. That's going to lead to protecting what I want done, my will, not yours, God. Another danger, another warning sign is the idea of entitlement. It's it's taking God's blessings for granted, as though he owes them to us. And we start thinking, well, God, I've been giving to you. I've been, I've been giving my tithe. I've been putting money in. I've been doing this, and you owe me, God. God, I've been giving my time. I served at VBS all week, and I'm exhausted, and you owe me some time by myself. God, I've been doing these things for you and under your name, and you owe me a return on that. <laughs> Can I tell you something? You just took a breath. You're blessed. You probably just took another breath. You're blessed. It's God who holds you in the palm of his hand and gives us everything, even the life we have. He owes us nothing. 
if we want to get into what God owes us, it's death. I never want to stand before God and go, God, give me what I deserve. Kaboom. I don't even think you'd see the lightning. It'd just be a little pile of ashes right here and some smoke going up. And the smoke would start to form and says, I am the Lord your God. Don't jack with me. If all God ever did for us was to hang on a cross and lay in a borrowed tomb and walk out of that tomb so that we can have life and that when we profess him as Lord and Savior, he saves us. If that's all he ever does for us, that is more than we'll ever deserve. We have no right to stand before God and say, you owe me. This one's a dangerous one, suffering. Suffering can create an attitude that blames God. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. The reason scripture speaks so much of suffering is because it's real. There's no fake dream that when you give your life to Christ, when you become a Christian, that everything falls in your favor, that the theme song to your life is zippity-doo-dah. Sometimes a theme song of my life is in a key so minor, I feel like just curling up in a ball. Suffering is a part of life. Suffering is real. And here's what Jesus said. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Oh, the world's going to hate you on account of me. But take heart. I've overcome the world. You're going to suffer because of my name. But take heart. I've overcome. He says to Peter, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat. But take heart. I pray for you. Suffering is real. And we can get into the Job situation where we blame God. We can become like Job's wife and go, you should just curse God and die. That's a comment from a hardened heart. Here's the soft heart of Job. He says, even if he kills me, I will still trust him. Don't let suffering harden your heart. Suffering is real and it will come into every one of our lives. Let that draw you into the heart of God. It's not a surprise to him. Refusing to listen leads to a loss of spiritual hearing. Ladies, if you're married and and you have seen this with your husband, it's called selective hearing. And ladies, you have that too. We all have that too when it comes to spiritual hearing. Like, I just don't think I want to listen to that. And ultimately what happens is we start to tune our ears out to the voice of God to where we no longer are able to hear him. And it hardens our heart. And then listening to God with no intention of obeying produces an inability to obey. Sometimes in my life I get so frustrated because I'm like, God, I'm reading your word and nothing's happening. God, I'm praying and I'm not hearing you. And then finally, I have to get to that moment where the Holy Spirit brings me to conviction and says, we got some heart issues to deal with, son. And and here's what happens. He shows me that even if he speaks to me, I wasn't going to obey it. And when that happens, I have an inability to obey the word of God. Because of that hardened heart. You start to see Pharaoh lining up in all of those, right? How about you? Where's your heart? 
What's the condition of your heart? Because God desires to work in you and work through you. He has a perfect purpose and a perfect plan for your life. And when you start tracking how we can be saved, and he's talking about the election of Israel, it's not based on where you're born or what family you're born to. It's based on the truth of whether or not you're born again under the promise. And it's not based on your effort. It's not based on how good you think you can be before God. Here's what God says about our most righteous acts. They're filthy rags. They're trash. They're garbage. So God's not so concerned about what we think we can do for him, but his, his desire is to work in us and through us for the redemptive plan for the world, for the salvation of the sinners. Because God chooses to work that way. The question is, are we going to let him? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for choosing us. We thank you for showing us grace and showing us mercy. And Father, I ask you right now for every one of us in this room where areas of callous have started to develop on our hearts, I pray that you soften our hearts. God, I am inviting you to break my heart. And if there's anyone in this room that has never trusted their life into your hands and has never been brought under your promise, then God, I ask that you work on their heart right now. I pray that, that if this is that time where, where you have softened it so there can be life change, I pray that it's just as simple as, as putting faith in you, returning the faith that you give us. They're just, Jesus, here I am. My will is broken and I'm surrendering my will for yours. God, I'm giving up I'm giving you my sin and asking you to forgive that so that I can receive your mercy and your compassion and your grace and I can receive your promise in my life. God, I'm at the end of me and I want a new start in you. God, I pray that just as there were kids this week that gave their life to Christ, that, that put their faith and their trust in you, I pray for moms and dads and men and women in this room today to take hold of the life that is truly life that only comes through Jesus as our Savior. That only comes when we say, I'm, I got nothing to give you, God, but I ask that you use me here I am. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your salvation power, your resurrection power. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Thank you.